Uh, I want to thank you again for your your gracious uh, spirit to Stephen and I. Um, we are not perfect men, and I uh, don't want anyone to ever think otherwise. Uh, but we um, we are men who are seeking to serve the Lord among you, and we love you, and we appreciate the love that you demonstrate to us in return. Uh, I was out of the pulpit this last week. Stephen was pinch hitting for me. I understand he did that sick, uh, which is no fun. I've done that before. Uh, I know exactly what that's like. Uh, but I appreciate the time to uh, to be away. Uh, I was I was able to be with my family to encourage my brother James and my sister Kristen on uh, their little their little girls. Um, and uh, do continue to pray for James if you would please. Uh, he finds out on Tuesday. Uh, at that point, um, they'll have been through enough radiation and chemo to know if the tumors are getting any smaller. And we are certainly very hopeful that Tuesday will bring good results to us. Uh, we don't have any guarantee of that, obviously, uh, but his cough seems to be improving, and so we're, we're hopeful that that will be the result. And if it is, that that would mean that they'll be able eventually to shrink this down and enough to where they can do surgery and then uh, uh, a few continued treatments and then be, um, for all intents and purposes, healed and be able to go back to their ministry. Um, certainly we don't have that as a guarantee from the Lord, but uh, that's our prayer. And um, we think it will be a tremendous testimony to his family and to many of the folks from his hometown who think that the reason he has gotten sick is that he became a Christian. And so um, we're hoping to be able to testify to the Lord of life uh, to all of them. So in any case, uh, do pray for that. Uh, I was officially ordained as a pastor about 10 years ago. And if you know anything about ministerial ordinations, you know that it can be a lengthy process. In fact, I'm going through it again to transfer uh, my ordination over to the Evangelical Free Church, of which our church is a part. Uh, And it can involve literally years of preparation. In my own case, from my conversion to my ordination, uh, there were 25 years that elapsed, uh, during which I spent five and a half years studying the New Testament in the original Greek, and two years studying the Old Testament in the original Hebrew, And I had completed, by the time of my ordination, 138 hours of biblical and theological studies, 120 of them at the master's level. I spent three years as a licensed pastor of evangelism in small groups in my first church, uh, during which both my character and my doctrine were examined. And when those years were completed, I had to write a 50-plus page paper outlining my personal pastoral theological commitments and undergo a four-hour oral examination. After all that, I was ordained to the pastorate through the laying on of hands and the uh, prayers of the church's elders. And I say this not to toot my own horn or to say ain't it awful in any way, uh, because honestly, becoming a pastor has been the privilege of my life. Uh, But because today we are looking at the ordination of the Israel's priests. 
and we're in that, we're, as we're moving through the book of Exodus, we're to that point where the tabernacle is about to be constructed, and you're going to need priests to minister in it. And God says uh, to Moses, you're going to have to have some priests. Get your brother Aaron and get his sons, and they're going to be my priests. And the priesthood is going to continue through them as an everlasting possession. Uh, but before we put them in that role, we're going to have to ordain them. And so this chapter that we're looking at today is all about that process of their ordination. Now, believe it or not, believe it or not, I'll make you this promise at the outset, that there is a lot in this text that points forward to Jesus and applies to you where you are today. And we're going to get there. We're not going to get there immediately. But we're going to get there. And you need, to, you need all, the, all the background information in order to understand that. Because we're not just using the text as a diving board, you know, to jump off to where we want to go. But we, are, we want to first understand what the text meant, and then we can understand what it means. Okay? So I'll make you that promise at the beginning. And turn in your Bible, if you would, to the book of Exodus, chapter 29. Now this is what you shall do to them to consecrate them, that they may serve me as priests. Take one bull of the herd and two rams without blemish, and unleavened bread, unleavened cakes mixed with oil, and unleavened waste or smeared with oil. You shall make them of fine wheat flour, and you shall put them in one basket, and bring them in the basket, and bring the bull and the two rams. You shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting, and wash them with water. Then you shall take the garments and put on Aaron the coat and the robe of the ephod and the ephod and the breastpiece and gird him with the skillfully woven band of the ephod. And you shall set the turban on his head and put the holy crown on the turban. And you shall take the anointing oil and pour it on his head and anoint him. Then you shall bring his sons and put coats on them. And you shall gird Aaron and his sons with sashes and bind caps on them. And the priesthood shall be theirs. By a statute forever, thus you shall ordain Aaron and his sons. Now, after every this is this is remember Moses is up on the mountain at this point receiving these instructions, and so this is not happened yet, but it's going to. And God tells Moses, when the tabernacle is all constructed and ready for use, you're to take your brother Aaron who's going to become the high priest, and, your, and his sons. And you're to take them to the entrance of the tabernacle itself. So behind the, behind the, the curtain, in a sense, or behind the, the wall made out of linen that went all the way around, in between there and the tabernacle, right out in front of the tabernacle, you are to bathe these guys and get them dressed. And you'll notice that neither here in chapter 29 or in chapter 28 does God ever ask, Aaron and his sons, their opinion about his choice of priests. Uh, nor do you ever see Aaron and his sons volunteer for the role. They don't ever go, oh, pick me, pick me. Uh, that never happens. Uh, God selects them and he appoints them and puts them in this, in this role. And God tells Moses, you're to bring a bull and two rams and some unleavened uh, bread of various types, wafers, cakes, and uh, and and bread and you're to take all of it there and when you get there Aaron 
and his sons are to take off all their clothes, all of their, all their ordinary clothing, and, uh, and then once they're stripped naked, they're bathed. Now, I think that they're, they're within the walls of the tabernacle. I don't think anybody can see what's going on exactly. But nevertheless, they are naked before the Lord, being bathed, and then they are dressed. And then once they're dressed uh, in all of the all of the priestly vestments, you know they've got they've got the linen boxer shorts that they wear, and then above that a, a sleeved uh, robe and or tunic, and then they've got a coat that goes over that. And if you're just a regular priest, that's all you have, plus a belt or a sash that goes around you and a little cap. But if you're Aaron, you've got some additional things. You've got the ephod. And you've got the breastplate, and you've got a turban with a little uh, gold plate across the front of it that reads, Holy to the Lord. Uh, And then after they're bathed and dressed for service, then they're anointed for service. Now I could say some more about this, but I'm not going to right now. I want you to hang in there because I'm going to show you how this points to Jesus and applies to you. So let's let's, uh, read on. Then you shall bring the bull before the tent of meeting. And Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the bull. Then you shall kill the bull before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting and shall take part of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger and the rest of the blood you shall pour out at the base of the altar. And you shall take all the fat that covers the entrails and the long lobe of the liver and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them and burn them on the altar." And but the flesh of the bull and its skin and its dung you shall burn with fire outside the camp. It is a sin offering. Now, to this point in the ordination service, Aaron and his sons have got clean bodies. They've got nice clean clothes. They're anointed with oil. The anointing oil was perfumed. So they're looking good and they're smelling good. Right? But what's the problem? On the interior of them, they are still sinners. So you can clean up the outside and make that look good, but you still have to deal with the fundamental issue of every human being as they come before God, that they come with a sinful heart. And so the next thing that has to happen is there has to be a sacrifice made to deal with their sin. And so that's what happens. They, they, they take a bull uh, for the sin offering. Now understand, this is a year-old male bull without any defects. This is one of the most valuable animals that you as an Israelite would have owned. This is, this is the prize bull from your herds. You take. And they then take it, and they slaughter it. And they, 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 they flay it, and they take some of the what are regarded in that day as the juicy parts uh, out of it. Uh, the long piece of the liver and the fat over the kidneys and uh, and some of the some of the interior fat off of the guts of this animal and they burn that on the altar and that is the sin offering along with the blood that they put on each of the horns of the altar each, at the altar had four corners and it had projections on it that was made for for, tie, for tying a smaller animal to the altar when they killed it. And so you're there to put blood there and then take some of the rest of the blood and pour it around the altar. And 
and then they burn these interior portions, and then the whole rest of the animal is taken outside the camp and burned. And this is a sin offering. But before they, t- they do all that, they're to lay their hands on this animal. And, and the idea of laying your hands on this animal that's going to be offered for you as a sin offering is that in a sense, you're taking hold of this thing and saying, this is my substitute for, to deal with the sin in my heart. And I am transferring my sin over to this animal so that when he dies, my sin is taken away from me and, and destroyed just like this animal is going to be destroyed. He's my substitute because I can't die on the altar. If I do, that's going to be the end for me. I I want to continue to live in spite of my sin. And so I'm going to transfer my sin over to this animal. And imagine doing this. You know, I've participated in the slaughter of some farm animals in the past. And I can just tell you that if you've never done that, It's a little grim, okay? You've never taken an animal's life quite like that where you take him by the head and and cut. It's grim. And you've just laid your hands on this animal and you've said, it's because of my sin you have to die. And then they take the blood from that animal because the life is in the blood. And they put it on the altar. And they put the, the juicy interior parts on the altar. And they burn those before the Lord. And they say, this is my sin going up in smoke. And this is the first time that the words sin offering are ever used in the Bible. You may not know that, but that this is it. This is the first time that that concept is explicitly taught in the Scripture. Always before this, there's an understanding that that we need to sacrifice for sin, but this is the first time that regulations are given by God for this is how a sin offering is to be made. And the reason for this is that even though you were a priest does not make you sinless. Even though you held an office to which you were appointed by God, you are not a sinless person. You're not a perfect guy simply because you put on the nice robes. And even the priests had to offer sacrifice for their sin. And every year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest had to offer a bull for his sin. And it was only a lamb for the people. But it was a bull for the priest. To emphasize, the priest also is subject to sin and weakness. And therefore, he needs to sacrifice for his sin also. Now, there's more I could say about this again, but I'm not going to. You need to hang on there. Because uh, I'm going to show you in a few minutes how this points to Jesus and relates to you. Okay? Let's read on. Then you shall take one of the rams, and Aaron and his son shall lay their hands on the head of the ram, and you shall kill the ram and take its blood and throw it against the sides of the altar. And then you shall cut the ram into pieces and wash its entrails and its legs and put them with its pieces and its head and burn the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. And you shall take the other ram, and Aaron and his son shall lay their hands on the head of the ram. And you shall kill the ram and take part of its blood and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron and on the tips of the right ears 
of his sons and on the thumbs of their right hands and on the great toes of their right feet and throw the rest of the blood against the sides of the altar. Then you shall take part of the blood that is on the altar and of the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and his garments and on his sons and his sons' garments with him. And he and his garments shall be holy and his sons and his sons' garments with him. Now after the bull is offered as a sin offering, then you've got two rams. And they're also also going to be slaughtered. First one and then the other. And as with the bull, they put their hands on on these rams. And they are, again, identifying themselves with the ram. So that when you're seeing this sacrifice made, what you're seeing is, that should be me up there. What should be happening to me to deal with my stuff is what's happening to this animal. You want to talk about compelling drama. This is it. This is compelling. And they see this. And this to make it to cement in their mind the connection between what the sacrifices they're making and who they are as they stand before God. And that God would otherwise hold them guilty and put them to death for their sin, but instead is taking a substitute for them. And the the first ram is the ram of burnt offering, and they they slaughter it and they skin it and they take all the pieces and including the guts and everything and they lay it all up there and it's burned until there isn't any left. I mean, until it's just basically incinerated. You know, like something you left in the microwave for 40 minutes too long. I mean, it just, it's just incinerated. Uh, and, and the idea is, is that just as the ram was completely dedicated to the Lord, that so you as a priest, as you're watching this, are completely dedicated to the Lord. In other words, there's no corner of your life that's any longer your own. That it all entirely belongs to the Lord. That just as this ram is completely consumed, so you are to be completely consumed with the things of God. And then they take the second ram and they take they, they slay it also, and they take part of the blood from that ram, and they do something really unusual. They put some of the blood on the right earlobe, and they put some on the thumb, on the right hand, and some on the toe, of the big toe of the right foot. And you go, what is that about? Well, if, in a, if you were a Hebrew, what you understood was that the right side of your body was the the, the most important. It was the side of your body, of course, that you, um, most people are right-handed, and that was the side that you would shake hands with, that was the, the side that you were the strongest with, and so forth, so the right side was really important. But your right ear is important, because if you were a priest, the ear is the organ through which you heard people's confession of sin as they came to make their offering. And the right hand is the one that you use to offer the sacrifice. And the right foot is the one that carried you to where you needed to go as you served the Lord. And so every part of you that was involved in service and ministry was dedicated to the Lord. Your ear and your hand and your foot. And it symbolized the idea that you now belong, in a sense, to the Lord. And then they took part of the rest of the blood and they sprinkled it. You know, it's not like, you know, they didn't, 
They didn't throw it on them, but they, they kind of sprinkled a little bit of it all over their clothes. So they've got blood spatter all over their clothes. And the idea is, is that that made that purified and made holy the clothes that they wore because the blood of sacrifice was on them. And they were now able to serve the Lord as priests. Uh, now, I've got more to say about this, but I'm not going to right now. Hang in there. I'm going to show you in just a minute how this points forward to Jesus and applies to you. But let's read some more. You shall also take the fat from the ram and the fat tail and the fat that covers the entrails and the long lobe of the liver and the two kidneys which, with the fat that is on them and the right thigh, for it is a ram of ordination, and one loaf of bread and one cake of bread made with oil and one wafer out of the basket of unleavened bread that is before the Lord. And you shall put all these on the palms of Aaron and on the palms of his sons and wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. Then you shall take them from their hands and burn them on the altar on top of the burnt offering. It is a pleasing aroma before the Lord. It is a food offering to the Lord. And you shall take the breast of the ram of Aaron's ordination and wave it for a wave offering before the Lord. And it shall be your portion. And you shall consecrate the breast of the wave offering that is waved and the thigh of the priest's portion that is contributed from the ram of ordination from what was Aaron and his sons. And it shall be for Aaron and his sons as a perpetual due from the people of Israel for it is a contribution. It shall be a contribution from the people of Israel for their peace offerings, their contribution to the Lord. The holy garments of Aaron shall be for his sons after him. They shall be anointed in them and ordained in them. And the son who succeeds him as priest who comes into that tent of meeting to uh, minister in the holy place shall wear them seven days. And you shall take the ram of ordination and boil its flesh in the holy place. And Aaron and his sons shall eat the flesh of the ram and the bread that is in the basket in the entrance of the tent of meeting. And they shall eat these things with which atonement was made at their ordination and consecration. But an outsider shall not eat of them because they are holy. And if any of the flesh of the ordination of, for the ordination or of the bread remain until morning, then you shall burn the remainder with fire. It shall not be eaten because it is holy. Now, the body of the first ram is entirely consumed by fire, but the body of the second ram is not. They take the fat portions and the right thigh of the second ram, plus one unleavened cake, one unleavened wafer, and one unleavened loaf of bread, and they put them all on top of the burnt offering, and they burn all of those up. Because the, there's a recognition that even these things are to be dedicated to the Lord. But with the remainder of the animal, they feed the priests. And they take... They take the meat and they uh, boil it and cook it and they eat the unleavened wafers and bread and cakes uh, and the rest of this ram because it's the ram of ordination. And they also feed Moses. They take the brisket because in a sense he's acting as priest for the rest of these guys. Uh, Moses gets a share of the sacrifice also and he shares in it. Uh, he takes the brisket from the animal and that's his piece. And the rest of it goes to Aaron and his sons. And, uh, and these parts are, of the animal are part of the fellowship offerings that are offered afterwards. And they remain the priest's uh, portion from, uh, from ever afterward. Because in a sense, 
what's happening is as you offer one of these animals, he is um, the animal is the is part of a covenant meal that you eat with God. And God has had his part of the meal that you've already burned on the altar, and now you're having your part. And the idea is is that as you eat the meal, having offered sacrifice for sin, having made your burnt offering, now you're now you're at peace with God, and now you're therefore able to eat with Him, right? Like in Revelation 3.20, anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with Him, and He with me, because when you're eating a meal, you're at peace with that person, right? In fact, one of the ways I can always tell if I'm no longer in conflict with somebody is if I can eat a meal with them and enjoy it, Right? Uh, if you're in conflict, you probably can't do that. But if you're not in conflict, you can sit down and enjoy the meal and, and celebrate together and laugh and have a good time, right? And, and the idea is, is that the priests, because they've done all the other sacrifices right, are now at peace with God and are able to eat with Him in His presence. And there's more I could say, but I'm not going to. I'm going to move on. And I want to show you a couple more verses. Thus you shall do to Aaron and to his sons according to all that I have commanded you. Through seven days you shall ordain them. And every day you shall offer a bull as a sin offering for atonement. And also you shall purify the altar and you shall make atonement for it and shall anoint it to consecrate it. Seven days you'll make atonement for the altar and consecrate it. And the altar shall be most holy and whatever touches the altar shall become holy. Now, this, is, this process is repeated for seven days. Why seven? Because seven in Hebrew thinking, seven is the number of perfection and completeness. And so God wants to emphasize to these guys that they are completely consecrated and completely holy and completely set apart to serve Him um, as priests at His tabernacle among His people. And I appreciate how much you've been patient to this point. You've hung in here with me. Now I want to show you how this points forward to Jesus and how it relates to you. Okay? These ancient rites, these things that they did, were a shadow and a picture according to the New Testament. All the things that were written in the past were written for our instruction. Right? That's about, I think that's Romans chapter 12, verse 4 maybe. Um, but all the things that were written in the past were written to teach us, and all these things point forward to Jesus and have an, have application for us. Now, first, let's consider the fact that they were washed and clothed and anointed. Uh, this pointed to the fact that the priests needed to be purified for service; they couldn't be dirty. Uh, that. They needed to be clothed with holiness and they needed to be anointed, not with oil, but with the Holy Spirit. Right? The anointing with oil was the symbol of the fact that the Holy Spirit was coming down to rest on them as they were going to serve God as priests. But they didn't see that happen, but they could see the oil and they could understand the symbolism of what was going on there. And these things pointed to Jesus, who is our great high priest, and the fulfillment of, Jesus, of, of these shadows and pictures. Do you remember when Jesus was baptized? First of all, what's a baptism? It's a bath. And Jesus began his ministry, just like the priest did, 
with a bath. And, and he was um, symbolizing cleansing from sin. Now, Jesus was already clean because he had never sinned and he will never sin. And he went to John to be washed, uh, not because he was a sinner, but so that he could be set apart as a priest for sinners. And because he was the Son of God, he was already clothed with holiness in a much better way than those who put on the holy robes for the priesthood. But though the Old Testament priests only had the the coming of the Spirit of God symbolically through the anointing of oil, what happened with Jesus? Do you remember? John says it this way, I see heaven open and the Holy Spirit descending on it as a dove. And all of a sudden, there's a voice from heaven that says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So what was only reality, in a sense, for the priests symbolically, was really reality for Jesus. That He really was anointed by the Holy Spirit for service as a priest among God's people. And he had God's divine blessing directly pronounced on him in a way that none of these priests ever did. And Jesus is also a much better sin offering. The scripture says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says this, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And he is our substitute. In the same way that the, that the bull was a substitute for the sins of the priests. And they laid their hands on him. And they said, here's my sins. And they're transferred to you. And then the bull was slaughtered and burned. In the same way, Jesus is our sin offering. And we, by faith, lay our hands on him. And we say, here's my sin. And He dies as our substitute. And and when His death happens, our sins are taken away from us and laid on Him. And He dies the death that we deserve that we can have cleansing and healing and purification and forgiveness and redemption. He's a much better sin offering. First of all, A bull, as valuable as it might be, is still just that. It's still just a bull. But Jesus was a fully human man. An identical type of sacrifice. And on top of that, because He is the God-man. His death has sufficient value, not just for me or you or a few of us, but for all of us. All of us, as we lay hold of Jesus Christ, are have a sin offering that is completely acceptable. And you don't have to do it, by the way, repeatedly. You know, they did this day after day after day for seven days, and then they did it every year on the Day of Atonement because they had to continually atone for the sins of the priests, who were, by the way, the best of the men of the nation of Israel. And they needed atonement continually. But the book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus, through one sacrifice, one time was able to make perfect those who put their faith in Him. So we have complete atonement through the sin offering of Jesus Christ. 
when we lay our hands on Him by faith, our sins are transferred to Him and taken from us. Amen? And on top of that, just like the sin offering was taken outside the camp, that the majority of the animal was taken outside the camp, where was Jesus crucified? Outside the camp. And the idea that that symbolized was the removal of sin from the presence of the people. That you take it outside where it's not going to be a pollutant to what's going on inside. And in the same way, Jesus is taken outside the camp bearing our disgrace. According to the book of Hebrews chapter 13. And just as the first ram symbolized complete dedication to God, and the second, the priest's ministry as servants of God who receive fellowship with God, through Jesus Christ we have a great high priest who prayed in the garden, not my will, but yours be done, and who was obedient to the Father even to the point of death, even to the point of death on a cross, and through his ministry grants us grace and offers us mercy and fellowship with God and an eternal portion at God's table as his sons and daughters. You know, the old priests, they, they, got, they got fed by people who brought them stuff. We need to offer sacrifice and you get a share of it. That was how the priests sustained themselves. Was that they were, they, the portion of what was sacrificed was theirs to eat. And they had provision uh, as sons of Aaron that remained there from generation to generation. But we have a better priesthood than that. Through Jesus Christ, our great high priest, we receive a portion at God's table. And it's ours forever. Not just until we die, but way beyond our death. Into eternity. Amen? And there's probably more I could say about Jesus, but I want to also highlight some things that apply to you personally beyond these things. You know this, that just as the ancient priests were bathed and anointed and clothed, you too have been baptized with the Holy Spirit into God's family as a member of the body of Christ. And you have been washed clean by the Holy Spirit of your sins and clothed with the righteousness of Christ and as scripture, the scripture says this, that you have received the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. God has washed us with his spirit and clothed us with, clothed us with his son. We don't just get fancy clothes to put on. We are literally clothed with Christ, according to the New Testament. And the sin offering that was made by Christ has been accepted on our behalf. And the sacrifices of dedication and fellowship with God have already been made for us. And all of us who receive these things by faith in Jesus Christ, when we lay our hands on him and identify our lives with his, we have them all. And we have been consecrated completely, ordained to serve as God's priest to the nations. Not just to the nation of Israel, although them too. But you've been ordained as God's priest to serve the nations and to carry the gospel to them. Let me give you some verses here. In fact, let me invite you to turn to, to the 
book of 2 Peter. I want to show you these. Okay? 2 Peter, chapter 2. We're just about done here. 2 Peter, chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Now, wait a minute. That isn't right. That isn't right. Ah, uh, here we go. First Peter. First Peter, I'm sorry. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now skip down to verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of his darkness into his marvelous light. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then you are a priest, and you are called to serve God with your whole heart and your whole soul and your whole mind and all of your strength and through your life to offer spiritual sacrifices to God which are made acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And you are also called to, as the Scripture says here, proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Now, one of the things I love that we do, we, you know, we've started having people share their testimony of how they came to faith in Jesus Christ. Every month we do that. And Steve did a great job this morning of proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ who called Him out of darkness. Amen? and into the marvelous light of Jesus Christ. And if you want to do that, by the way, see Tony, because he lines people up. We've got somebody for uh, Tony Malik right here. We've, we've got somebody lined up already for November, but we've, December is open. So <laughs> talk to Tony. Because part of what we want to do as the church of Jesus Christ in this place is to offer ourselves as sacrifices to God and to serve Him and also to proclaim, amen, the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness who, so that we can say to our neighbors and our friends and our family, and this is part of our role, by the way, as priests of God, that part of what it means to be a royal priest is to be the representative of the King to announce salvation is here. And it's freely available to all who want it. And if you would like to stop living in darkness, then by the way, you can. Through the grace that is offered in Jesus Christ, you can receive salvation. And it's your job, by the way, to do that. And mine too. That if you're a faithful priest, under the great high priest, Jesus Christ, you get the privilege of serving God with your spiritual gifts, of praying and seeking the Lord, not only on your own behalf, but on behalf of other people, just like the ancient priests did. You get the, the opportunity of offering God the living sacrifice of your life, which is made acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Because you have complete atonement that's already been made for you. And so when you offer up the best of what you are, and by the way, the very best of us is not all that much. We're made acceptable and rendered acceptable before God through Jesus Christ. And when we open our mouths and proclaim the marvelous grace of Jesus, 
reaching the most defiled. Reaching the most defiled. Then we are acting as God has instructed us and ordained us and washed us and sanctified us and consecrated us and purified us to do. That's part of the point. The point of the Christian life is not simply that we would show up at church uh, together every week, although you should do that. This is not a Christian club. Okay? Christianity is the worst hobby in the world. Get a boat if you want something to do on the weekend. Okay? We are here that we might be that we might as ordained ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ minister the gospel to a waiting, dying, hurting world. And we are here that we might be completely consecrated in our lives and purified in the way that we conduct ourselves as we are washed by the word, by the spirit. Amen? That's what we're doing here. It isn't that church is just what nice people do on Sunday morning, right? It's that this is preparation for ministry and service and the proclamation of the gospel. Amen? Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have ordained me and your brothers and sisters. These, my brothers and sisters to be ministers before you of the gospel and of grace to a lost and a dying and a hurting world. Father, you have suited us up, not in old robes, but with the character of Christ and the anointing of the Spirit. And Father, I pray that we would be obedient as we are sent forth from this place to be light and salt and to carry the good news of Jesus Christ that we might sacrifice our entire lives for your calling and your kingdom. Because, Father, even the very best of what we have to offer is not nearly enough, but it is made enough through Christ who loved us. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.